City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. Okay, and city limits and back on air again, and uh, and I'm you almost hear the universal for those listening anyway groaning across Melbourne. Thinking, oh, I'm sure it was just a sigh, Kevin. Sigh, not a groan. Right, okay. <laughs> John McPherson's here this morning because it's the first Wednesday of the month. It's transport. We've got Karina, who's pressing the buttons, and I'm Kevin Healy. It is city limits, and John, I think that I don't know what Karina thinks. That was probably. Since last year, six mm-hmm. weeks up to this time last year, was the fastest six weeks I've ever gone through. <laughs> <laughs> it just disappears. No. And here we are back again. Well, Kev, I've got a theory. Every year gets faster as you age. Oh, in that case, it's getting very fast. <laughs> very fast indeed. Everything uh, just accelerates. Right. Yes. For Karina over there, it's going very slowly, obviously, but building up. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pour some tea, but it is Transport Day, John, and we've got lots to talk about. There's been plenty happening over drinking cups there. Nothing nothing of it really representing much improvement, I don't think. No, and a story this morning um, just being told in the kitchen by um, Mm. Gab Reid, who rides a bike here, and um, I ride through the same route, in fact, and she was talking about an incident this morning where cars got caught on the railway line and the upfield line and uh, a train coming and the bikes were sort of... Yeah, caught up in it as well. And the bikes are sort of aiding and abetting the whole. The yeah, whole mess. so yeah. it's uh, it, it's when well, there has been an issue, and we might come to it later. But there's been an issue over the break. In fact, they're talking about mm. now in Victoria catching up with other states and making it compulsory for there to be a particular space one metre between cars and mm. bikes for yes. passing, and in fact wider if you're going faster than sixty. That's right. Well, that's that seems to uh, me to be very sensible. Yeah, because mm. um, you do you do get it does. I mean, I ride a bike up Main Streets a lot, but it. Um, you know, mm. can get a bit hairy at times. Yeah, yeah. Some idiot drivers really. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I've always said, in fact, that you know, in the in sci-fi where they try to find invisibility and make people invisible, the best mm. way to succeed in that is to ride a bike up a main street. Oh, okay. You get the best experience of <laughs> yeah. invisibility. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, no motorists can see you. The, no, there'll be a lot of a lot of um, people in decision-making positions you could put in that. Put on a bike and that's right. get that feeling. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly, Very exactly. Good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. But yep. um, mm-hmm. a couple of things before we get on. Well, we've got a few things to talk about. I mean, obviously, over the break, there's been the, the bushfires yeah. that are being handled everywhere. And um, we might talk about that with Meg. Meg will be here next week, by the way. She's not coming oh, here today. Okay. But, and just on next week, because uh, it's Energy Day, we've already teed up Dave Sweeney because there's also been a lot happening on the uranium issue. Mm. He's the uranium person with, with um, yes, Australian Conservation yes, Foundation. Yes, yes. Uh, and he's going to come on for most of the program next week to discuss a lot of issues oh, that good. have been going on over the break. Well, so. the uranium, yeah, the uranium thing just won't die. There's still no. there's lots of old white men in Australia think what we definitely... Definitely yes. need nuclear power stations. And they now yeah. whip it in just as a line saying we need yeah. we need yeah. wind, we need um, yeah. Yeah. we need solar, we need nuclear. They just throw it in as yeah. one of the possibilities yeah. now. So that's it's, right. Yeah, that's they're trying right. to make it mainstream, I think. They simply will um, not admit that it's incredibly expensive and inc- incredibly difficult uh, and, and dangerous. dangerous. I mean, mm. one of the issues we're going to talk about next week is also over the break, um, 
the people who run Fukushima mm, um, mm. are now saying the only solution to mm. all the water that's been building up, as they know what to do with, is to release it into the Pacific. Yeah, yeah. into the Pacific Turned Ocean. into a solution in the Pacific, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that's... And the, that's okay now, but it hasn't been okay in the past, but suddenly it is okay. Yeah, that's, that's very lucky. It'll new, dilute, they said. It's uh, like the nuclear industry in general. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. That's right. They redo the rules every time they feel like it. Reminds me of this, therefore. In, in Bangalore, where they've got traffic problems and mm-hmm. people breaking the law, they haven't got enough police, so they're going to put up dummy police on intersections. That's <laughs> really good. But it thought me having dummies as police, I mean, how would you tell the difference? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, we could see that one coming. <laughs> that was my From one. you, we could see that coming. Sorry, mate. <laughs> that was my one comment on that one. Um, but... Um, um, this is a, this is a serious one. There's a story about thousands. This is over Christmas. Thousands of Christian pilgrims flock to the West Bank town of Bethlehem, celebrating Christmas Eve in the traditional birthplace of Jesus, etc., etc. But this is on the international page of the Herald Sun, mm-hmm. where they always have the country of origin where it's happening, and it says Israel. Oh yes. <laughs> so apparently, the West Bank now has been deformly. Mm-hmm decided by the Herald Sun, which John Donald Trump and everyone mm. want to do anyway, mm. and has said he, he now mm. recognises mm. it, but now Israel. In the mm. same period, a quiz show in Britain got into trouble because they asked mm. a question about some about Nazareth or somewhere in the West Bank, and the person said Palestine, and they, they gonged and said the answer's Israel. <laughs> so um, the, uh, right. Yes, so uh, there you are. Okay. Um, on um, similar events of people um, being displaced, mm. uh, one the the um, Invasion Day march this year, yeah, last Sunday week was oh, whatever yes, day it was. Um, Twenty-six. Yeah. Uh, it's always been ten o'clock, I'm sure. But anyway, I turned up at ten o'clock, and I was an hour early, so I had to wander around town and kill an hour. But that's another question. And uh, I read a book sitting on the tram stop, but uh, but uh, it was enormous again. It was bigger. Did you? Uh, it was, it was bigger than last uh-huh. year. It's getting bigger every year. It was enormous. Even the Herald Sun, Monday morning, yep. had to say tens of thousands. Wow, that's fantastic. And for them, that means there were thousands mm. and thousands mm. and thousands. Mm. And uh, yep. Yes, yep. but it's yep. getting bigger every year and better. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's yeah. time we did something about it. And I raise that because, again, the Herald Sun come up with one of their classic headlines, Big Bill for Morning, Morning in, in parentheses. Mm-hmm. Port Phillip splurges up to 20000 on ceremony and an inner city council will spend up to 20000 to hold an Indigenous, again, mourning. Every time they mention mourning, it's in parentheses. Oh, right. Ceremony. Okay. And the city of Port Phillip, etc. it'll recognise this and goes on about it. But it's just mm-hmm. one of those stories where, again, they're putting the whole thing down. And you had Alan Tudge, the federal minister, saying he expected councils to do the right thing and hold ceremonies on the day, but not morning ones, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to hold afternoon Yeah, the Herald Sun gets to decide whether people are mourning. I thought, I thought the, the, the people doing the morning decided whether they That's were right. mourning, yeah. And then the, the <coughs> survey showed that more than 70% of Australians want Australia Day celebrated on January 26, according to a poll released earlier this week. The poll was commissioned by and run by... The Institute of Public Affairs, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's highly reliable. Uh, yes, they a survey of at least a thousand people, obviously people who work in the building, found almost two thirds felt the push, etc., etc., etc. The so, good old IPO, yeah. that nice. Yes, yes, isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now here's something though that um, 
I, when I read this story, I, I must admit, I'm going to have a sip of tea. Hang on. Do you say something? John, say something. Say something? Well, it, the headline seems to be University of Sport. That's what it is. Right? Yeah. Yes, that's what it says, University of Sport. See, your reading hasn't gone down over the holiday. Well, it's pretty big, pretty uh-huh. big print, Kev. Yeah. It is. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I, I looked up the top and thought, it is in April the 1st. I haven't missed three months of going to sleep or something, have I? But you, no. You've done your Rip Van Winkle. Well, yeah, unless it, you'd think it's a joke, but it mm. seems to be serious. Mm. Sports fans will soon be able to get a university degree at the MCG. Australia's greatest stadium has struck a unique deal with a British university to base a campus at the ground. Now this is the bit that I thought must must be a joke. University campus of football business. (laughs) But it's not, not specifically AFL? Well, no, no. Collaborated with the oh. MCC to launch its first campus outside of the UK mm. at the mm. iconic stadium. Mm. Students will be able to study undergraduate and postgrad degrees in subjects such as business, finance, psychology, media, coaching and sports management. <laughs> the stadium-based campus model is already operating at Wembley in London and a stadium in, in Manchester with a, with, a, with a sponsor's name. I won't say the sponsor's name. Right. Um, and the chairman of the university, a director of English Premier League Club Burnley, predicted the MCG program would produce Australia's future sports leaders, etc., etc., etc. But it, it's amazing. Mm. I, I don't get it. Anyway, that's it. That's it. Well, look, we, in some ways we are better at sport than we are at business, I mean, if, when you think about it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, perhaps but, there's but, something in it, you know, but I don't know. But in, in Australia, they're the same thing, John. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's the point they're making too, yeah. Kevin, yeah. I'm just going to pipe in really quickly and say that I know it's a pretty it's a pretty popular thing now. I went to La Trobe for a little while and sports science is growing so much. And we all know, you know, universities run on this new business model. Mm-hmm. It's mm. because it's so in demand. Mm. It's got nothing to do with the amount of jobs or the quality of education or anything like that, mm. which we already know. It's money. It's literally mm. just money. Kids mm. come out of high school going, oh, I don't know what I want to do, but I like footy. Yeah. Screw it. Yeah. Let's go right. this way. Yeah, well, I suppose if mum and dad can afford to pay for them to do this interesting sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's happened for years in America where you, you, get, mm. you get sports scholarships for their big universities mm. and all you do mm. really is play basketball mm. or whatever mm. sports you're into. And I'm sure that, go, that part of it goes on here, but just probably slightly on the quiet. Yeah, yeah. But it's, anyway, yeah. And, of course, on that very point, mm. um, this was a real problem Um for the poor people, well, this is well. It's actually a real problem for the people of Brighton. I mean, which oh, one do you the support? The poor people of Brighton. Yeah. Yes, because um, <laughs> Furbank Grammar School, which is one of the big private schools, oh, yes, Furbank, yes, 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 lodged plans to build three elevated multi-purpose courts at its Outer Crescent Senior Campus to meet the growing demand for tennis, netball, and basketball facilities. Mm-hmm. But the council knocked it back on the because the the good folks of Brighton complained about the noise that would come, mm. and then VCAT upheld that decision. Um, the That's refusal. unusual. Yes, after after well, it's Brighton though. After neighbours right. complained, the sound of airborne. Um, of air horns, frequent and incessant whistleblowing and shouting and cheering from <laughs> players and spectators would disturb their peace and quiet. We consider the noise of yelling and whistles would be disruptive and impactful, particularly during competitive play. Well, that's when they do it, of course, that's right. Um, the school said the designs had been paired back to what the school needs to expect from a facility if we're investing a significant amount into and that it wasn't viable to change the designs again or limit hours of operation. Poor oh, dear. So there's people of Brighton torn between Furbank grammar and themselves. And, and, and VCAT actually supported... 
Yes, the people, yes, not that's the, right. Not, that's the, right. not the development. That's but, so unusual. And you can lay odds that um, the significant amount of money they were going to invest into it, most of it would come from the public purse, of course. So. Oh, yeah, we can, we can guarantee that yeah, that's um, right. yes, that's our former it, uh, sports minister. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Ms. M- Ms. What was her name? McKenzie. McKenzie, yes, yes, yes. Would very likely have thought that Brighton was a very worthy cause for extra funding. So yeah. we, well, I wasn't going to discuss that, but I mean, really, they got the perfect result. When that bloke Gaitchens was appointed as head of Trinidad, mm-hmm. we... Um, in fact, made the comment at the time mm-hmm. that his background was with liberal ministers, liberal treasurers. Mm-hmm. He was part of the liberal parachute and that it wasn't a particularly independent public service appointment. Oh, shit. So when it, when it <laughs> went to him, you knew it was going to turn out all right for the government. And, of course, they found the ideal solution. They found a, a loophole that yeah. didn't like the government to get rid of her because yeah. she was an embarrassment yeah. to them. They had to yeah. get rid of her. Yeah. But, but no, they couldn't admit but, to the no, larger problem. But there was no mm. peace. And in fact, mm. there was a comment, um, a cynical comment in the Finn Review, Mo, oh, no, that, really. that, um, <laughs> that if, in fact, Gaitens is right, mm. then they need to sack the Auditor General because he was obviously <laughs> wrong. Uh, yes, he got it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah, right. Of course. Um, so um, yeah, there yeah, you are. Yeah, but, no, uh, it's, it's quite magical the way it all happened, yeah. Well, there's some suggestion that, um, not that I think this could possibly be true, that some of the directions for where it should go came from the Prime Minister's office well, of itself. Of course, it, it did. I mean, yeah, I mean, probably from Gaitchens. Um, well, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, but on the matter of sport as well. She'll be, look, look, don't worry about whatever her name was. She'll be looked after. Oh, yes, yes. Well, she's still um, leader of the Senate. They still. Oh, really? <laughs> they voted her back yesterday as well, leader of the got Senate. Any, they, now they haven't got yeah. any ministers in the I Senate. I picked that up last night. Right. Right. Another okay. sip of tea. There's not much left here. Oh, okay. Another yeah, sip. Do you want another sip? Uh, no, right. Oh, already she's saying no, John. Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. Your tea has an effect, d- Kevin. D- didn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, One of my favourite bitches over the years, as you all know, is and John Kane's memorial this week reminds yes, me yes, of it again. Yes. That was John Kane mm-hmm. who gave the Yarra Bank to the tennis people. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. The Yarra Bank was, of course, pre-television days. Every Sunday there was yep. the um, yep. there were the Yarra Bank speakers from the Communist Party to the Catholic mm-hmm. Church to all sorts of weirdos and strange people. Mm-hmm. But it was a spot where everyone, anyone who wanted to could get on a stump and make a speech and people would listen to them and throw things at them and higgle them and carry on and cheer them. Well, there wasn't them. much else going on in Melbourne No, that's on right. Sunday. But, I mean, so it had a... But it, it, because of the Communist Party connection, sure. etc., it had a real working-class connection. But for yep. years also, more particularly, it was the venue, it was the terminus for the May Day March. In the days when oh, May, okay. Day, May Day marches were huge in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, unions were huge. They had massive union floats. They had all sorts of uh, all sorts of ethnic groups also marched yeah, and yeah. added colour to it. It was they were great marches. Mm. And during the Vietnam War period, mm-hmm. they often broke up into fights between various groups. But anyway, um, but. Um, you know, and it it always marched to the Yarra Bank where you mm. had then you had stalls mm. and food and mm. eating and speeches and, and mm. a lot, mm. and it was part of working class history. And John Kane gave it up to what has now become just a whole elite mob, and that really annoys me. That what that you know, what what was a part of working class history is now taken over totally by the elite. And just to prove it, um, Monday and Tuesday, the Finn Review carried photos of all the rich people and the mm-hmm. politicians who were there, etc. All this the, is at the tennis. This is at the tennis about. finals. Mm. You know, all these mm. people, you know, it cost the public fortunes to go to this, but I bet all these people got in for oh, nothing. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, and I won't mention their names, but the, the usual suspect, big business people and key politicians, etc., including a number of Labor ones, unfortunately. 
um, all lined up mm. at the uh, at the tennis mm. where uh, mm. where they've taken over what was a working class piece of history. And ironically, I suppose it was the same day that they had a memorial for John Kane. You did it. You could argue that Margaret Court might be the last of the old. Um, you know, she proselytises in. Yeah, well, you're, I'm stretching it a bit, but you see what I'm getting at. You'd there. like to hope so, wouldn't but you? she was, um, she was, she's a sort of old, old campaigner. I'm, I'm going to come to another matter to do with my visit to Castle Maine the other Saturday. But, ah, yes. But I got on the train and I, I sort of, I was hoping to get a seat facing, just because I like to do it, a, a window seat facing the way you're going. Mm. But I went up the train and it wasn't there, and got near the top of the train and there was one on the aisle. So I sat there, and a the bloke had his hat there, so I sort of said, and he said, oh, can't you go somewhere else? I said, I don't know why his hat needed to be there, no. not on his head. Um, and um, he sort of glared at me for a while, but then he started talking, and he kept <laughs> asking me questions, and he was obviously a you know, bloke with some brain damage, I suspect, Paul Bernard, oh, okay. I mean. yeah. but and he was a big on religion, and at some stage he asked me a question, and I made the point that it was all to do with climate change. It must have been about the fires or something. Oh, do you? And then he said, oh, but is, you know, climate change, isn't that to do with God getting revenge on us all? And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> and he said, that's what Israel Folau says. <laughs> and I thought, gee, I'm glad I sat here. Yeah. Um, you were getting your money's worth. So right? there's people who actually believe it. I mean, it's extraordinary. Anyway, uh, I, I assured him that Israel Folau wasn't exactly the brain mm. of the year. Mm. Um, and I didn't quite agree with Israel. But uh, right. anyway, yeah. Right. But, oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank anyway, you. Thank but you. That's just a that that you mind we mentioned that. There, yeah. Right. yeah. Speaking oh, yeah. of uh, the super and filthy rich. Yeah. Um, the, also this week has come out the um, last year's election donations. Finally, um, yeah, finally. Yes, and uh, some of the interesting ones. A bloke called um, a bloke called Wakil. I'm trying to find his mm. first name. Mm -hmm. um, property investor. Oh, Isaac Wakil. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. He donated 4.1 million to the Liberal Party and its state divisions. He's a major donor to the Arts Gallery of New South Wales, University of Sydney, etc. Um, a spokesman said Mr. Wakil had the utmost confidence in Prime Minister Scott Morrison. He supports his policies, his integrity, and what he stands for. That's good. Mm. Mr. Wakil had a Perhaps strong. He can tell us what he stands for. And what his integrity is. For he stands Mr. for. Mr. Wakil had a strong conviction that Mr. Morrison was the best person to lead Australia and therefore was pleased to be able to contribute to the Liberal Party's campaign. <laughs> Donations were made with no conditions attached. A subsidiary of Adani Australia gave 100000 to the Nationals and 50000 to Liberals. Mm -hmm. um, and um, some of the parsimonious considering the largesse mm. they're going to get back the other way. Yes, yeah, so they'll, they'll, they'll score from that one. The Cormac Foundation, a regular cash, cash uh, source, was the Liberal Party's biggest donor. Tobacco manufacturer Philip Morris donated more than 24000 to the Nationals. Employer group, the Australian Hotel and Hospitality Association, gave more than one million to the major parties, including two sixty thousand. Um, was it no seven hundred and sixty thousand to the Victorian Labor Party, despite Labor under former leader Bill Shorten promising to reverse penalty rates, etc. But of course, they're more about about pokies and things and mm -hmm. gambling and all yeah, that sort yeah, of stuff yeah, where yeah. they do all that. Yep. Um, and um, Apparently, uh, Martin Ferguson um, is now chairing the Tourism Accommodation Australia, apart from his links to um, to the resource industry. So mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. involved with all that as yes, well. Yes, he's done well. Um, yes, yes. Um, 
And there were a number of others. I mean, Anthony Pratt gave lots of money. He um, he gives. Yeah, to he was both, a bit uh, even-handed. Yes, yeah. that's right. He gave them to both just just to make sure he was in both camps at once. He described uh, in high, in in Ohio in September he he called Miss uh, Scott Morrison the Don, Brad, Don Bradman of Australian job creation, and of course we all know the Pratt family is a wonderful bunch of people. Um, Kerry Stokes gave a lot of money to the Liberal Party. He, of course, is uh, runs all the media in Western Australia and mm. uh, other things. Mm. So, um, so yeah, the, the, u- seven network, the yeah. usual suspects were giving it, apart from Palmer, of course, spending $83 million and yeah. got, But he did keep... I don't know what Palmer over. really got, got for his money. Well, he didn't get, didn't get a Labor government. I think that's what he was really after, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and even, even, even so, I, I don't quite that, uh, see... But he got value for money. No, but oh. anyway, that uh, that was that. But then I thought, after mm. all that, the very bottom paragraph of the story, mm. after all those people giving money and you know influential mm. people, etc., mm. Attorney General Christian Porter's summation of the list was: the new disclosures showed Labor leader Anthony Albanese had more than thirteen million in support from quote militant unions. <laughs> <laughs> so. A Adani giving to him's okay, right. but uh, business can never be militant. No, no that's right. That's right. <coughs> so oh that's right. So there you are, John. Business oh. is always calm and collected and knows what it's doing. Well, it's maybe it knows what it's doing. I don't know. And just to finish up before we go to transport, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, when I go to transport, John, okay. Uh, no, it's not twenty-six past yet. No, it's, no, you, it's, you can't. I'm not getting no. frazzled yet. No. John starts shaking at twenty-six past right. Karina, so we've got to get to there before watch him shake. <laughs> Um, so it's, um, it's Kevin's little. It's only twenty-four past it's now. Kevin's little trick. But this is this this is a bit of brilliant logic by the um, Centre for Independent Studies, a bloke oh, called yes. Blaise Joseph. I, I regard um, them as sort of like the pale IPA. Yeah, know? they are. Yeah. yeah, they are. They are. And um, the IPA is red meat. They've come up with us with a research with figures that show that federal government spending on public school students has increased more rapidly than spending on private school students <gasps> in a reversal of claims made by teachers, unions, and parent groups. Wow. The report on government services, all in capital, because that's what it's called, right. in education released today shows in that which is today being this was in yesterday's Fin Review, so mm-hmm. at least Monday, I presume. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Shows in 2018, Canberra spent $2,387 per student a year in government schools, excluding capital grants. That compares with 1825 a decade ago, an increase of 55%. In the same time, private school students went up only went up only 43%. But if you look at the actual figure, yes, it's course, two three eight seven yeah. per student mm-hmm. in government schools mm-hmm. and eight thousand four hundred and seventy nine mm. in private schools. It's almost four times as much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but he says that shows the government's giving. Now you know I can't work out how he works it out. But anyway, the nominal amount is higher, etc. But Jake Blaze Jacob, education policy analyst at the Centre for Independent Study, for they should get rid of him, said the numbers sent a clear message that challenged the usual claims about spending on education. Despite years of fear-mongering from education unions about how the federal coalition was cutting funding for public schools, Commonwealth spending on government schools has actually gone up much faster than it has for non-government schools. Recent increases for non-government schools certainly haven't been at the expense of government schools. Well, that's highly questionable. There there has been a massive real per student increase in federal funding for government schools over the past 10 years. In no possible universe is that a cut, and on he goes. And I think, oh dear. Well, 
probably goes um, on for pages. Yes, yes. and um, oh, and I thought, well, now it does affect government schools because if all that money went to government schools and none to the private schools, mm. government schools would be, be a wonderful. Be stuff. doing very well. Yes, yeah, my yeah. very worth. Oh well, well, of course, his view is not that it's actually stated according to that. That of course the feds shouldn't give any money to public schools because they should only be funded by their state governments. Well, yes, yes, of that's course, really what course, he that's what right, he thinks. That's right, that's and of course that means leaves all these private schools, which you know choose to be private schools. Mm-hmm. They don't choose; they're outside the networks. That they should be funded on a very generous mm-hmm. basis by the feds. Yeah, well, I, I got heavily involved in the in the sixties in the state aid debate at the mm-hmm. time, and mm-hmm. um you know, argued vehemently against yeah. giving any set of money to private school. Mm-hmm. But, of course, eventually they worked their way in and mm. off they went. And, um, yeah, off, and it's yeah, gone ever yeah, since, yeah. 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 Um, and, and, you I, know, it's a bit like, it's a bit like Ms Mackenzie with her uh, grants to the uh, you know, sports organisations. Uh, some of the ones who were doing very nicely, thank you, they were the ones who got more. Oh, in, in the best, <laughs> in the best liberal liberal party seats. Yes, you know, got half yeah. a million for some yeah. club in Warringah, I think it was in Sydney, which was um, yeah. Tony Abbott's former seat. Yeah. Um, they got half a million, and of course, you know, nobody's suggesting that their facilities were all that awful to start with. No, and someone pointed out recently that you know a few hundred thousand in in, in country communities. Mm. Money spent on a sport yeah. facility by government has much more impact yeah, on people yeah. than building a road nearby or something. I mean, mm, that's mm. okay, but when mm. they get it for a sporting facility, it's I mean, you know, it really mm. happens in those because sports so mm. much a part mm. of those societies. Mm. Mm. Um, and so you've got to you've got to think the thing they only won by what one or two seats or mm. something mm. that it probably did affect the result of the election. Well, it certainly um, wasn't. It certainly didn't do very didn't do very much by the look of it. The way they spread the money around. It. In very strange yeah, ways, but there yeah. must have been the odd seat they won because of that by you the think? few votes. Mm, you know, there were seats, there were some yeah, seats yeah, that were lined yeah, all at the yeah. end and all that sort of stuff. But, so. but really, you know, a proper scheme would actually try and bring all the clubs up to some basic level before they started adding adding an extra. <laughs> Silly me, I know. Proper scheme, John. Oh. <laughs> God, you got a good sense of humour. Oh, no. <laughs> you want oh, people no. to be equal. Oh no, <laughs> I'm thinking more like a public servant than oh, a politician. God, yeah, oh that's no, for sure. yeah, not yeah. a not a liberal public servant, not a Gaitchen's public servant. No. No, no, clearly no, no, not. No, I'll no, lead no, no, Are no, they no, really no. public servants? <laughs> Real public. Well, let's take a quick break. It's now 28 past. John can shake his oh, way okay. through this little break and then I'm we'll come back. I'm twitching all over, we'll, we'll talk transport. <laughs> That's a song, isn't it? Twitch. No, there's something. Uh, oh, shaking I'll shake all over. It all over. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to change okay. it. Okay. 3CR. Serrated tussock is an noxious weed that has impacted our farmlands and environment across Victoria. Similar in appearance to many native tussock grasses, serrated tussock may go unnoticed in both pastures and native grassland for many years. Victorian Serrated Tussock Working Party has assisted hundreds of landholders to control this noxious weed and they can assist you by offering a wide range of information and management options for controlling this weed of national significance. Visit serratedtussock.com for more information. A 3CR supporter. Okay, back on air with John. And um, John, anything you wanted to raise? Because I've got a couple I want to raise about just problems on the system, which is unusual with this show, isn't it? Problems on the system, yeah. (laughs) I I, um, can't help commenting on the fact that the rail to the airport still bubbles along. Yeah, and and there's communities there now arguing strongly that it should be all underground and they want underground where it's not going to be, etc. That's that's come up again. it's, It's such a mess... Really, and there are there are the there are the um, factions that want you know a 
as fast a train as possible to the airport. No, don't want it to stop anywhere because their only concern is getting from Collins Street to to the first class lounge mm. at um, at Qantas as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And and apparently the rest of us will have to have to finance, you know, this mm. um, this um, Rolls Royce of a, a service. You know, that'll be the that'll be the, that'll that's what'll end up, and a trip will end up costing something like say thirty or forty fifty dollars a, a, a trip ticket each mm. way. Which for ordinary people is a bit ridiculous. Yep, that's up around the price of a taxi, and a taxi you can get you can get three when, three. When flashing a Mikey and going for a metropolitan fare should be how it all. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's my my view. Um, if the if the, but but you know, but it's being driven. It seems to have been driven now by the elites and what they want, not by what ordinary workers and travellers and um, you know particularly airport workers would would get benefit mm. from. You know, mm. which would be part of the MET system and it might take another 10 minutes to get to the airport compared with the the really razzle-dazzle. But everybody say, oh, no, we can't go on ordinary trains with ordinary punters, you know, got to have somewhere to put our luggage. Well, you know, those things can be managed. Yeah. Uh, and at the other end, anyway, the airport itself makes you wait around for an hour or more, you know, anyway, <laughs> yes. once you're there. So. Yes, well, well, considering how well our public transport works, you probably need to leave yourself another buffer zone for the trip, yeah. trip to the airport as well. So. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, think, I think it's all getting a bit, it's getting a bit silly, you know. Um, some of, the, some of the, the, the very big airports in the world have two different forms of public transport. One's slower and cheaper and one's faster and more expensive. But I don't think we're at that level. Mm. We're not at any of those levels. No, we haven't no. got anything. No, no. We've got a so I think, uh, I think So I think that we should be getting a, a system that, um, that is um, reasonably priced. And, it, and, of course, it should be integrated into the present public transport system. And it would be good if you could actually get to the airport from a couple of different directions, you know, rather than just have to get on a special train from mm. the city. That's, that's a yes, bit so. ridiculous. Any train will, should and probably will have to go via Sunshine, and that's a good point where interchange could happen from people getting off trains from Geelong, from Ballarat and from Bendigo and onto mm. an airport train. But the latest suggestion is that people might be everybody might be expected to change trains at sunshine from a train going through sunshine to a train on mr mr andrew's um orbital train oh, train line round to get to is, the airport which is scheduled for 2050 or yeah something. that's right <laughs> now i i think i think that is perhaps going too far out there's no no reason why the airport trains couldn't share the same tracks as, as the orbital train, and, and no reason why the orbital train couldn't, wouldn't, and couldn't go through the airport. But it seems to me that should be extra, extra, extra services, mm. and that would be providing very useful services from the north and north, mm. northeastern suburbs yeah. coming and, across and through Broadmeadows and the eastern, northeastern. Well, yeah, but you get to a certain point where if you're coming from the south or the southeast or the southwest. It's going to be quicker to go through the city than go around yeah. the orbit. At least it should be. But of course, the way our system works, it may. Well, some still of those be... people though in the in the say northeast on the mm. uh, near the orbit, it'd be faster for them to go at the yes, orbit. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. But yeah. The, the massive, I mean, a lot of the mass of Melbourne is to the southeast. Yeah. South yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. South. South. Southeast. Yeah. Southeast. Yeah. East. 
Well, t- yeah, yeah, whatever. Sort of. Out in the Dan and <laughs> That I'm... was good, John. People could... <laughs> John was John was showing us what he yeah. what he meant. I was, was quick... trying to work out where the points of the compass were, folks. Yeah. Quite quite useful to our listeners. Well, a, well, a hell of a lot of Melbourne's population is still to the east, the the, the southeast, mm-hmm. and and um, you know down towards Frankston and beyond, down towards Dan and beyond. Mm. So those areas, in theory at least. If we had good public transport, it would still be yeah. faster to go to the airport Come by going through the city. Yeah. Yeah. But, of course, the way our public transport runs, it may well be faster to go around the orbital, but it shouldn't yeah. be. Or faster to walk. Yeah, or faster to walk. <laughs> so, you know, uh, um, it, it, it's, um, it's all looking a bit weird. I mean, I can see, too, that there will need to be new tra- another pair of tracks out to Sunshine. There's now... F- four tracks out the sunshine and there may well need to be two more tracks that could carry express trains from the aforementioned Geelong, Ballarat and Bendigo plus airport trains mm. on express tracks from the city to sunshine. That that may well happen. But it may be possible to start running a service on the, on the present tracks and then upgrade it at a slightly later date to get something operating. Yeah. So where's it at at the moment, in fact? I mean, well, I, I don't think anybody knows. It, it's um, it all gets it all gets sort of faffled around very yeah. very quietly behind the scenes. And now and again, we get a report in the papers. Somebody's found a little bit of information trickling out, but you don't know how accurate that is. Mm. And then see the Fed the Feds have got their finger in the pie, and then there's this private consortium that wants to do, and they yeah. they seem to be prepared to spend. A ridiculous amount of money for their for their but, concept, but they want to own it. Oh yeah, if they want it yeah. to be like a like a transfer private company. Yeah, yeah. they want yeah. they want yeah. they want a CityLink um, type type arrangement. I think where they can they can charge it quite a high fee to start with, and it would go up by. Yeah, more than inflation yeah. every year. Yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. transurban. Mm. We're, speaking of which, um, yes. we might talk about that now. Yeah, Some of the other stuff, because yeah. um, sure. they've had trouble also with the. Mm. Well, let's just the history of this. Well, I'm sure people are aware, but they came up with a um, an unsolicited tender, mm. as they're called, mm. for what's the what's it called the East Tunnel, the Westgate Westgate Tunnel, or the other one. Yeah. Um, and put it to the government, and in return for them putting some money in, the government putting a lot of money in. They get to run it, they get to toll it, and they get an extension of their current toll mm. uh, for 10 years. So they make billions out of it, literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're running into trouble, John. They have, Kevin. And they don't like it. And the, 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 the construction with consortium lend lease they make is, is, is yes. uh, getting very, very pouty flancy about it, yeah. Mm. And uh, threatening to... At least the, you know they're saying that they'll walk away from the so whole they, project because yeah. they've struck contaminated soil, yeah. which they surely should have looked at before <laughs> um, before putting in the tender. Yeah, well they're, they're very close there. They're not quite on Coot Island, but they're going around the edge of where Coot Island is. We called Coot Island. It's mm. really a peninsula there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and of course they're going underneath what I think were oil refineries and things like that mm. further over on the That's banks right. of the Maribyrnong. And for those younger people who might remember Coot Island, of course, was a, mm. was a place where all sorts of terrible chemicals yes. and there was a terrible fire there. Have been years stored ago, there yeah. for sixty or seventy yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. So you know, inevitably yeah. the ground the ground is all now contaminated. Yeah. But of course they've got a situation where they've signed a contract to do mm. it in certain time for a certain amount of money, and mm. that would seem to be binding. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're saying because they've got extra costs that the government should somehow come mm, to the party mm, and mm. they've stood the workers down. Now, I, mm. I see that purely as blackmailing the government mm-hmm. and trying to force the government to come up with the money mm-hmm. to pay the difference. Sure, of course. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, well, they know yeah. the workers, you know, don't get a lot of sympathy, at least from the media. They don't get a lot, mm. Those workers don't get a lot of sympathy from the media. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if the whole thing fell through, it wouldn't be a bad thing, actually. Well, you know, the, the, the result of <laughs> the this... The bad thing is it's going ahead. Yeah, well, the result is this thing is going to fire a whole lot of extra traffic from the western suburbs and, you know, Geelong and co, straight at the western side of the CBD. At least CityLink sort of goes around the CBG, but this mm. is going to, this is going to do the, the the absolute worst sort of arrangement where this traffic is going to just be, you know, hammering at the western side of the CBD, and of course, mm. the, the congestion around the CBD will get worse than it is now, yeah. and of course the screen will then be on to do more things to relieve it, which I don't, you know. They'll start knocking down the CBD to build even more roads. And this is the sort of thing that America did 50 years ago and discovered that it never works. Well, Australia's been doing it for years as well. Yeah, yeah. Every freeway that's the panacea for our mm -hmm. transport problems becomes the next next problem we've got to solve with another freeway. Another panacea, yeah. As I always say on this program, you know, one thing that leads me to quote the Bible, you know, freeways beget freeways beget freeways beget freeways. Well, the crazy thing is, of course, if if you wanted to do the sensible thing, you would improve the, the rail system to bring these commuters from, you know, as far afield as Geelong and, you know, Geelong and Ballarat and so on, you would improve the rail system radically and it would cost a whole lot less money to improve the rail, <laughs> rail system. You're some funny jokes today. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> if, no, if, if we don't say them, Kev, nobody else is going to say them. <laughs> well, let's talk about that because um, I've had experience. Uh, the last three times I've used public transport, transport it's right. gone wrong. I mean, right. maybe I've just been unlucky. But um, <laughs> like yesterday morning, I went to, I'm going away for a week now. I must so confess, I'm, every time I ask a friend, how, how was your last public transport excursion? Yeah. I hold my breath, yeah. Well, I went to the market yesterday morning and um, to get very early to get food because I'm going away for a week. And, um, sure. And I um, came back to Melbourne Central Station and there was sort of the thing where it should have said upfield coming up whatever time it's going to come up wasn't even on the board. And I mm. said to a station staff person, um, is the upfield hardly been here? She said, yes, there's, there's been a delay, but it should come up soon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, that's great. So we waited around for ages on that. I made a comment about, oh, gee, that's a, gee, I'm surprised to hear that. Or mm. um, and the previous time well, last week when I went um, again to go to a friend's place for dinner, and I got on the platform at the usual time of the train. I'm standing there, and after a while they said, oh, the X train's been delayed. This is peak hour, night time, by the mm. way. And it's been delayed, and it's now due in nine minutes or something. But the previous Saturday, I had to go to Bend, to Castle, Maine, yeah. to, um, which I mentioned earlier, but it was an old journey mate's mm. funeral. Mm. And um, and the funeral was at 12, and I checked. They, I thought they were the same as Geelong and Ballarat. They run once an hour, but they don't run once an hour in Bendigo. Line. But anyway... No, Kevin, um, look, I... I did go and check that out. Did you? Well, they didn't. And I'm they afraid. told me they didn't. Well, Coming I'm back, they weren't. Well, I, yeah. I found more trains on the timetable in the late afternoon mm. than you found. Well, that's interesting. Well, this was a Saturday, of course. But oh, well, there we go. You um, didn't mention that when coming, you were telling me. The coming home bit. Mm. Um, there may, there may have been more, yeah, was, more of a gap there was on, certainly on, a lot, on the um, long gap. on the Saturday. But, 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 even, but, on but a, even on the Sunday, the trains run once an hour. Well, that's interesting because I sort of didn't get that from my... But anyway, I rang and checked and all found out there was a the train got in at quarter to 12 and they told me the place yeah. was pretty close to the station so I thought yeah, well that's yeah, good that even allowing five minutes late arriving mm. or something you know you're okay yeah. but but of course five minutes would be on time according to V-Line oh of course yeah. John I'm not, I'm not saying that we'd be running late no no mm. um, but as we got toward Digger's Rest we just stopped mm. 
stopped with this bloke next to me I told you of. He oh, was yeah. in the year. Oh, um, fortunately, he got up at that stage and started attacking the conductor about oh, why, why didn't you do this, sort this out this morning? And the conductor's saying, well, we didn't know it was going to happen this morning. You know, and he, <laughs> he's, The conductor was being very patient with him because the other bloke was a bit... It, you know, it may have been that there was, was, a, was a signal fault signal earlier fault. in the day. Signal yes. fault. Yes. Anyway, it may have been um, there early in the morning. Too. Anyway, they said it's a signal fault and yeah. we're going to be here for a while, etc. And we, we thank you for your understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they thanked us for our understanding. Standing, and then we st- must have been half an hour. Well, no, not, you, know, you never quite tell, can you, in those situations? But a no. long time. Yeah. And then we took off very slowly, and they said we've got to go slow for safety reasons because of the signal failure, etc. So we cruised along, and then it t- picked up speed again. We got to Kyneton then. I thought, right. well, you know, at least we, you know, yeah, whatever. Getting there. Yeah. And at Kyneton, they said, oh. It's a single line track, and we because we're late, we have to wait for the train coming in the other direction to pass us here. So we're going to be here for another five or ten minutes. So we sat there for another five or ten minutes at Kyneton. The end result was I got to the funeral as it was finishing. Mm. I was about an hour late. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, um, it's just yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. a disastrous Pathetic. experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, what the comments? Well, the signalling system is only about ten years old because it was put in new when they when they did the upgrade to the country lines. So, what the signalling system is doing failing all the time, and it does seem to fail all the time. I don't know. It seems to seems to be generally generally not a good system. And I'm fascinated to know whether they ever try to claim any any any. Recompensation back from the companies who built it and put it in, but probably not. Um, the old-fashioned signalling from the 19th century was far more reliable. Um, mm. It did take more men or, and women to run it, but it but it um, it was mechanical and it it, actually, you, and it could sta- actually work in hot weather too. Is that the one where stations you'd see people sitting there pulling mm, pulling levers? Yeah, 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 yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, we've got signalling now that's the modern um, electronic version of that, but um, there seem to be, it seems to be able to fail in many different sorts of ways. And even, and even though that does fail a lot, they don't seem to have a very sensible backup system that enables the trains to keep moving, you know. Mm. You know, all the drivers are connected to the central control system by radio and all that sort of thing, you know. They could be told, you know, you, yes, it's safe for you to run from here to here, but you'll have to stop there and things like that. But, oh, no, they're only allowed to run at really low speeds and things like that, you know, um, because you can't really trust the drivers to do what they're told. Um, no, and no, things like that. Not. No, apparently yeah. not. Yeah. No. So, you know, the whole thing is shambolic, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it doesn't seem to have improved. The signalling was never very reliable even after, soon after it went in. And it just seems to have got worse, yeah. yeah. And of course, the track was taken back from double track beyond Kyneton to single track, up to Bendigo. It used to be double track yeah. all the way to Bendigo, and that that meant that the um, the scope for trains holding each other up was much less on a double Why track. Why did they cut it out? Because they saved a little bit of money. All these projects were done on the absolute cheap. They were done with minimum standards, which could be why the signalling systems are a bit a bit wonky, mm. but everything was done on the cheap. And they reckoned, oh, well, if all the trains are running on time, we can design a timetable which will work 
with a single track north of Carton. And of course all track, that trains... But if you've already got a double track, why take it out? Yeah, well, that was always my question too, because they argued that they couldn't make the trains go faster north of Kyneton if they didn't take out the double track because then they could make the car curves a bit smoother for the single track because there'd be more space to make the curves more smoother and the trains could run through the curves faster. But, of course, the amount of time that would have been saved by that little wheeze was probably five minutes. But they always wanted to run one very fast train a day from Bendigo to Melbourne. This was what Steve Brax wanted. The Brax thing, yeah. The demand was. And so they were interested in taking the last five minutes out of the timetable, but only for that one train. So it meant that the track got optimised for that one fast train a day in each direction, but it meant all the other trains were more likely to hold each other up because of the the single track. So, you know, so the benefit was there for one commuter train a day each way and the trains all the rest of the day held held up all the passengers were likely to hold up all the passengers on those trains and that's how it's turned out yeah so so yeah it 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 was it was um a a, a weird a weird situation mm. it really so their argument that they can they can devise a timetable that allows mm. people to go without yeah. holding each other up yeah. would only work if trains mm. are actually dead on time mm. Mm. Oh yeah. So once we were behind time the other mm-hmm. day, yeah, not a, there was no hope. Yeah, no hope. No, mm-hmm. and you know everybody who had any experience in railways n- knew that. So they've the, known that for the last hundred years. Where's the next point behind Kyneton where they can? Oh, they, they have a few loops. Yeah, they, so there are possibly Castle Main probably. There's a there's a Castle Main loop. I think they might even. No, I'm not sure. I think Castle Main's the first loop, and there are one or two more between between there and um, Bendigo. Mm. Uh, and and so you know you're going to be held up for you know easily ten minutes or more every time there's a there's a, a problem and you're you and you're you've got to wait for a train going the other way yeah yeah but of course you know yeah. the timetables also use those loops so of course if everything gets thrown out oh you know it, it really falls apart very quickly um, yeah so some very 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 weird um, determination. But really, the media back in the day uh, with Steve Brax, you know, hammered away at, we want fast trains, we want fast trains. And the government ended up committing itself to these one one or two fast trains a day. Mm. So all the lines really had, had the money spent to to uh, benefit these one or two fast trains and not, not the whole timetable. Yeah, the impression given at that time mm. was that Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo mm-hmm. would have fast trains all the time. Mm-hmm. That was the sort mm-hmm. of that was the impression they were mm-hmm. giving. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that. Well, well, the trains are fa- faster than they were pre pre the upgrade. You know, particularly on the Bendigo line, they're, they're <coughs> pardon me, they're, they're they're certainly faster than they were. Yeah, mm. and, and they're generally faster than they were yeah. even on the Ballarat line too, and right. a bit a bit on the, on the Geelong line. Okay, so I had that experience but, uh, the other day. But no, uh, you didn't. No, and no. the and the frequency the frequency of trains went up a lot. And don't forget the Geelong line now on Monday to Friday gets a train every twenty minutes during the during the day, 
between the pickers. And of that, of course, they still have a double track all the way to Geelong. They, they, they weren't silly enough to take that out. <laughs> but it means that, it means that Bendigo and can never have as good a service as Geelong until they put the double track back all the way. Um, Ballarat, of course, never had double track. It was always um, single and, and far more difficult to operate. And it's being improved at, as we speak with double track going in out to Melton, which is a very good thing. But um, there will still be just um, a series of loops beyond then. And, and we can only hope that they've been optimised so they can run a decent timetable. Mm. But we don't know because none of this information is ever made public. Interesting, isn't it? Because also just in the last week or so, yeah. um, items come out that V-Line spent $23 billion. No, $23 million, I'm sorry, that's... Oh yeah, I saw bill, the yeah. bill bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, Twenty-three million on consultants, mm -hmm. um, some advising, engineering companies advising, etc. But could this indicate maybe that they've just cut back so much on staff that now they're just re-employing people? And mm. this, this is work that probably used to be done in t in in a house. Almost, almost certainly, um, that would be the case. Yes, yes, it's the modern way of the world, um, and uh, you can't guarantee that the quality of the work's any better either. It, uh, in some ways, it can be worse because these people feel more influenced to come up with the um, result that they're told that the mm. senior bu bureaucrats want. That's right. Once upon a time, the bureaucrats may have been a little bit more, sounds weird, but a bit more independent when they were within the bureaucracy yeah. than when they're uh, fronting up as consultants. The consultants want the next job, so they yeah, exactly, want to yeah. give you what you want. Precisely, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, that sort of thing really worries me. Um, and the way V-Line runs these days, you'd have to, you'd have to think that um, the consultants haven't provided a lot, a lot of value. Yeah. I mean... Uh, well, <laughs> We've just been talking about it. We have. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was going to mention too that uh, it's interesting, the, um, the Velocity trains are, are, were built by the company Bombardier and they're also maintained by the company Bombardier. And you would think that that would mean they would be maintained extremely well because mm. Bombardier would understand the trains that they built very well and know which parts were likely to fail and should be maintained. But that doesn't even seem to be the case. <laughs> <sighs> you know, you, you, there are there are you know we're told that there are trains that are sometimes out of out of uh, commission because. Um, Oh, I can't get the spare parts, you know, and things like that. You know, they'll have to come from Germany or something, you know. And, um, you know, you would think that these big multinational companies would be right on top of all these yeah, sort of things. If it's your train and your, your servicing it, mm. you'd think you'd know yeah, when, some, when yeah, you're going to need yeah. this part, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but they're far more likely to stretch the stretch the friendship as far as I can to save a little bit of uh, money, even on the maintenance, yeah. On dual tracks, the reason why, of course, the upfield only has a 20-minute <coughs> service, mm. and so when we went on a holiday timetable just over Christmas and yep. nothing changed. No, no. Uh, we, we, we're on a holiday timetable all year. But um, uh, the reason million. is the single line, of course, between Gowrie and Upfield at the yes. top of the line. If that yes. was dual, we could have much more reliable, much more um, frequent service. Well, but, but like what they could do is turn around every second train at the end of the double track, of well, course. Well, they, they could, but I, I raise that, John, because currently there's a campaign at Moreland Station because mm. um, they're tearing trees down. And, yeah, they're doing quite and a lot uh, of that. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's awful to watch the That's damage. That's happening at Newmarket Station, and at Coburg too, as well at the moment, too. But, mm. but, you know, they're doing it 
Well, like the liberal crossing things anyway, as we say, mostly favour uh, benefit yes, cars more yes. than public transport anyway, yes. but they're still seen as a public transport thing. Yep, yep. But this this disaster, I mean, a beautiful garden, mm. and they're only destroying it to store equipment. Mm. I mean, mm. it's not mm. even part of the works. No. It's just so bloody vandalistic by a government yeah. that was offered alternatives, and yeah. there are genuine alternatives yeah. in, that, in that spot. Yeah. But, the, but having said that, if they're going to go ahead with these works now... Mm. It makes sense, but they're not going to do it. It mm-hmm. makes sense, therefore, because mm-hmm. they talk about at some stage mm-hmm. putting a dual line up the mm-hmm. top, mm-hmm. doing that while the line's closed. Mm-hmm. The line's going to be closed for mm-hmm. several months mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. while the yep. works take yep. place. Yep. So yep. why not at the same time do mm-hmm. the dual line rather mm-hmm. than then close it again mm-hmm. somewhere in mm-hmm. the future mm-hmm. um, when you do mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, well, it, 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 um, I, the only answer I can give you is a purely political one that... Um, the politics, from the government's point of view, benefit uh, benefit them by fixing the um, the level crossing, but they don't get any benefit politically out of double tracking the line, because this, the, because it's all through safe labour seats, and therefore there's nothing to be gained by spending mm. the money there. Well, actually, it's a green seat down the down the south end. But oh, right. oh well, that, the green, well, you've got to punish them, yeah, because the Greens won Brunswick in the election. Oh, well, you punish you yeah. punish them, yeah. people for voting yeah. green. Yeah, that, no, that's the way yeah. um, advisers to ministers think and ministers think. Yeah, that's all I can come yes. up with. That is one of the problems with the orbital thing that Andrews has got in his buzzing around his little head at the moment. There's so many other things that need to be fixed on the present suburban system before you start building that orbital orbital thing. There are about four of the suburban lines end with single track sections, you know, like, oh, you know, which is, yeah. which is, you know, a total, pro- it remains every day a problem for running trains reliably because yeah. trains are going to come get out of, get out of order or, or, yeah. or, or run slowly. Things well, are going to happen. It struck know. me yesterday when this woman said to me on the <coughs> platform, oh, it's been delayed and, you know, mm. it'll turn, the next one should be mm. upfield. Mm. <laughs> and I thought, a tw- they can't even run a twenty-minute yeah. service. I yeah, mean, yeah. It's that runs ridiculous. every twenty minutes all day. Yeah, but yeah, they still but can't had, get it right. They've had thousands, thousands, and thousands of days of practice, and they still yeah. can't can't run it reliably. Cannot you know? get yeah. it right. And on, yeah. on the other matter, of course, an engineering friend of mine, um, oh, who was she, well, she was heavily involved in the in the farcical, mm. you know, what was it, in my opinion, farcical consultation process, and a lot of people put a lot of time into that. Yep. With no, when from the start there was never going to be a change, mm-hmm. I suspect. But mm-hmm. she says the engineers who who devise these bloody plans, like destroying that garden, mm. um, when they come to the consultation process, they have no intention of changing their mind. They've oh, just no. they've just become rigid in their attitude of what what's yeah, going yeah. to happen. Yeah, yeah. And no matter how much common sense there was in alternatives, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. they no, were never no. going to listen. It was no, just no. doomed from the start. No, which no. always, in my experience over the years of government consultation processes, yeah, yeah. is they're a waste of time because yeah, they're going to do yeah, what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know whether they give engineers counselling or whether they do a do a, 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 a part of their degree in how to survive mm. uh, community consultation without get, having a heart attack or something. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, these these processes they're gone through now with with in a ritualistic form. Yeah, yeah they mean they mean yeah. absolutely nothing. It's yeah. like that Bob Newhart track many years ago about the bus driver instructor. No, I don't know that one. <laughs> where you know the, the little old lady is about to catch the bus. She's she's oh, back. Right. Now take off, yeah. stop, take yeah. off. There she comes again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then yeah. when she's on there, uh, the way to the way to make her spin to the back of the bus. And yes, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that's right. Well, it, it sort of works. That sort of thing does work both ways. There's the, there's the, the train that gets um, slowed up by the driver waiting at the suburban stations an extra 10 seconds on every st- stop because he can see somebody running up the ramp, you know. Mm. And that means by the time the train does get to the city, it's running five minutes late and everybody does groan about that. Yeah. So what do you yeah. do? There are some, some parts of public transport that you, you probably can wait usually the buses, but on the trains it's possibly a bad idea. But see, we don't don't even run the buses or the trains frequently enough to be able to say to people, oh, it doesn't matter, look, there'll be one in five minutes, you'll be okay. You know, on on that, that, you know, and we are such a big city now, five million people, that we should be running big city public transport and we're still not. Um, You know, everything should be run as much like a metro, metro as possible, and metros run very frequently and reliably all the time. That's Metro. You're not talking about the people who run our... I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, talking, I'm talking, <laughs> talking about, about a Metro, metro systems, not... Uh, no, no. Uh, we've been told ours is a Metro, which is sublimally <laughs> a way to tell us ours is a good system when it, in fact, isn't. <laughs> ours is still very much a suburban rail system and they'll run the trains when they bloody feel like it. Well, right, John, on that wonderful note, <laughs> we'll talk more about this next month. Okay. But thanks for coming in again. Okay. And thanks for another starting another year. Right. Um, Joe will be coming in in a minute and telling us how old we are. Back to normal. And that's yeah. back to normal. And mm. um, and thank Karina for doing a great job. Karina, thank you very much for looking after us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next week, and don't forget Dave Sweeney talking about um, the uranium push going on at the moment. Mm. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.